Uh, we're Roy and Rose Tibbet, and uh, we have been members of Auburn for many, many years. And I'm so thankful to be here this morning. Um, I'll ask if uh, we'd be willing to share um, what is going on in our lives with Wycliffe. And uh, as any of you know, I do not like being up front. But, you know, our world is very, very big. And sometimes it's very hard for us to cope with all that is going on. But I want to be able to share with you uh, some of the what is going on. You know, this video that you saw this morning, it was a little bit long, I realize, but the cup were slaves, in Indi were brought from uh, Indonesia as slaves to South Africa. They're Malays, and they intermarried with some Khoi people, the uh, Kalahari Bushmen, and uh, some of the other African tribes there. And they have been enslaved for so many years. And yet, uh, when our friend uh, Helen, an ethnomusicologist, a person who studies ethnic music and uh, is able to pass on the gospel message through encouraging the people to use their music, God just blew that whole group open. And we've seen amazing things. They had a concert, totally sold out. And it was all the secular people that came and said, we can sing our language. It's, it's a good language. God understands it. Jesus understands it. And they were so excited about that. So... Rose and I are with Wycliffe, and Wycliffe's goal um, is not so much to give people the word of God. That's a means to transformation. That's what we want. We want to see societies transformed as they uh, read uh, God's word and understand the gospel of Christ and come to salvation and grow. Now, in many cases, people um, have been led to the Lord but they have just been slipped away because the scriptures are not in their own language. They have no way to go back to refer to it and to find out what God wants them to do. Um, I have a video. It's a very short little video. Maybe uh, you could just put it on. It's about what children think about the Bible. It's thick book and it says the Bible on it. Like this thick. It has a brown cover. Pictures, not just words, pictures and words. It has different like kind of feeling of the pages. It's a thing that's about God and it has all God's words. The Bible is the holy sword. God's word. How God talks to us. You'll hear God a lot. You'll hear Paul. The chapters are in things called books in it, even though it's one big book. There's lots and lots of books about lots and lots of different things, but they're all based on what Jesus did. It tells you how to live your life, and it's got everything in it that's true. The Bible can help you with lots going through your fears and stuff. Even if you know about God, you, and you still want to learn a little bit more about God, you can always look in the Bible. They seem to love having the Bible. <clears throat> One girl says hers was brown, mine's actually black. <clears throat> but uh, it's always wonderful to hear what children say. Um, I actually have a, a PowerPoint. Uh, maybe you just put the PowerPoint on. You know, 
So often in, uh, when we are moving into society and looking for the needs of Bible translation, people will say to us, well, the people speak, they can speak some English, they can speak some or whatever the, the national language is. But uh, surely they can read the Bible in that and uh, understand it. But I just want to just show you something. Here's a verse we know very, very well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I'm not a native speaker of whatever language this is in, so let's just take out a few words. Just the next one. Okay. okay, so just for sake, we'll just take out loved, believed, perished, and eternal. It's pretty hard words to understand, and then we'll just see what we come up with. So, for God so the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever in him shall not but have life. And that so often is what people read when they are reading in a language that is not their own. I have another little uh, slide, if you just put it up. Okay, so how many of you heard of Five Fish? Five Fish is a little app that you've got on your phone, and uh, you can put on your phone. And uh, what it is, it has hundreds of languages from all over the world. And uh, you can, if you meet someone and they say, well, I'm from India. And you say, okay, oh, that's good. And uh, what language do you speak? You probably say, oh, Hindustani. Uh, but then you ask me, well, where were you actually born? I said, well, I was up in North. And was that your, your mother language? Or actually, no, 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 I speak Jarai. And so... And you say, well, now, how can I communicate with this person? Well, this little app has all of the, it has Bible stories on it in the people's language, hundreds of languages. In fact, it has a Bible story in this one here. If I can find Isang paglalarawan ng pinakadakilang taong lumakad sa mukha ng That must be the language of heaven. That's Tagalog. <laughs> so, download that app because it will give you a wonderful opportunity because we have a a city full of students. And God is changing the demographics of this town. Indians are coming. The Koreans were here before. And now we've got the incredible Filipino group here. Well, we so thank God for. So that's, that is a very useful app. And then just the next slide, just to let you know that if you want any more information about Wycliffe, there are all kinds of Wycliffe sites over the world. This one is actually South Africa. Wycliffe Canada has one, which is good too. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to give you a, a couple of uh, statistics about uh, the Bible. You know, there are 7,388 languages in the world, spoken languages in the world. There are dialects as well, but spoken languages. But there's only 1,617 New Testaments that have been uh, translated. Um, that means, and then also about 1,250 languages have a little bit of the Bible in the language. And uh, from Wycliffe's perspective, there's 3,266 languages that are in process. But actually, what it turns out to be is that one person in five does not have God's word in their own language. And the other statistic is that there's only 742 full Bibles in the whole world. And here we are, 2,000 years later, and uh, this is the situation we're in. I just want to give that uh, second video, if you would.
This is a lady talking about how English is not sufficient for her. I think uh, a big percentage of the people in Papua New Guinea, they would understand their language better than English. If you com do the comparison, um, the people, even educated Papua New Guineans, even we speak English, we can read English, but sometimes, you know, some words, terminologies are hard. If we don't understand one thing, we miss the whole main of the whole thing. I took the book of Ruth for the first time. I'm translating Ruth. But five small kids had their chins on the table and they were listening as I was typing the story in my frustration because I was thinking, is this ever going to work for the people? Let them, because they're reading English Bibles, let them read English. But as these children listen and the women who were peeling the cows and bananas, they left everything and they were listening as I was I was reading the story and typing and translating at the same time. And when I'd finished, the lady, one of the ladies said, wow, that sounds so sweet to my ears in Tyroma. Is there a story like this in the Bible? And I asked the kids, did you understand what I just read now? They said, yes. And I said, why? They said, well, because you read it in Tyroma. And I got excited. I went to the church right away and I said to the pastor, give me five minutes to read a chapter in church. And that Sunday I was in church, I was reading Tyroma and the old people who were just sleeping and dozing off, their eyes popped open, they leaned forward. And for the very first time, since the missionaries came to my village, for the very first time, they were hearing scriptures, a story in Tyroma. And I could just see tears trickling down their faces because it was like, where have you been all these years? What took you so long to come? This is what we are waiting for. They were just not reading and hearing it in English. They were not just hearing it in talk piece or motu or in oracle or tuaripi. They were hearing it for the very first time in Tairuma. And I said, yes, it's going to work for my people. Yeah. So even though they speak English, <laughs> they understand it better in language because as it's the the original meaning of probably you know you say original greek original hebrew but for them it's original tyroma it's like yeah christ is is a melanesian christ he's not confining one cultural uh, box here but to me he's coming to me as my melanesian christ he's coming to me as my tyroma christ he speaks my language he understands my pain he knows what i go through and he's able to help me So we have seen the beginnings of so many um, languages in the Philippines started and finished. Am I hearing? Okay. Um, and there's a story of a couple that were uh, down south in the Philippines and they had been translating and the people were beginning to understand. And this old man said to Dick, he said, um, did you have this book when you were growing up? And Dick said, yes. And he said, what about your father? And he said, yes. And your grandfather? And she said, yes. And he said, why has it taken you so long to bring it to us? He said, because my father never read this book and my grandfather. And 
what took you so long? And Dick just hung his head and said, well, we came as soon as we could. But that, the need, as you can see from this lady, you know, they've learned to speak English, uh, but their heart, hearts are longing to hear God's word in their own language. And when you think of how God speaks to us, he comforts us, he guides us, gives us peace in times of trouble. And when they don't have that in their language, it's a great loss. So we're here today to encourage each one of you to get involved in whatever way you can to, to be involved in people receiving God's word. Thank you, Rose. Rose and I have been uh, with Wycliffe for actually 52 years. Can you believe that? <clears throat> Before a, lot, a number of you were born. <clears throat> and our first assignment was uh, to the Philippines, to northern Luzon. Uh, we spent 15 years there. Uh, we had a translation center there in a small town called Bagabak, which is about, uh, I think, about 270 kilometers from Manila. And uh, it's an Ilocano area. And that's why we learned some Ilocano while we were there. Uh, we've always been in support roles, helping people uh, uh, do the practical stuff so the others who are trained in Bible translation can get on. So I built many homes, I think about 16 homes, uh, a Bible school for another mission, and uh, a recording studio and a school, and a, lot, a number of things I was able to do. But what I really loved to do was to go out where the people were actually translating and help them get settled in. Rose would come with me, and uh, I'd put in a, a bathroom. I would, uh, you know, renovate the house, do whatever needed to be done. And uh, it was a, an incredible joy. But then once we adopted our two children, John and Joy, uh, Rose had to stay home, and then I was on my own. <clears throat> but I'm just going to ask Rose, what did you actually do at Bagaba? Um, we've always said you can do anything to contribute towards Bible translation so when we first went there there were just three couples um, on our little mission base the one was the pilot and his wife and they, uh, he flew, flew small aircraft into the, the village areas that were difficult to get to and then there was the um, the couple who did uh, radio. the radio technician because we could, in those days we didn't have cell phones, so we had a two-way radio. That so everybody in their villages would have a radio, and then we would. And so I um, was the the flight. What what do you call it? <laughs> I I, I would flights. track the flights going into the villages, and and they would call out where they were. So if anything happened, I would know where things went wrong, and we because it was. Um, uh, there were a lot of places there weren't roads to. And so um, and I did that. the like this on mountains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and also on the two-way radio, I, um, if people had medical problems, because there wasn't medical help in a lot of the, the village areas, uh, and we had a doctor in Banawi, which was one of the bigger towns, he'd come on radio, so if anyone was sick or needed advice... Uh, we could do it that way. Um, or else they'd f order food and medical supplies, um, which then I would buy in our local market town, and then we'd send them out on the next flight that was going to their place. So, Oh, and I was the hospitality lady. And then again, in the days of no cell phones, 
people just arrived <laughs> and they had to be fed and housed and so I was responsible for, for doing that. And I must admit, my first couple of months, I felt a bit overwhelmed um, with cooking all those extra meals for people coming through. And, and one day I said to Roy, Honey, I wish we could just have a meal all by ourselves. <laughs> and I was getting a little bit sort of uh, struggling a little bit with my attitude. And then I read, uh, I don't know if any of you have read any of Edith Schaefer's books, but um, her first book was Le Brie. And uh, the, she and her husband ran a, a kind of place for students in Switzerland. And so she was forever serving meals and serving. I know, I, I thought, you know, this is not just a job of giving people meals. This is a ministry. And I, I, my whole attitude changed to saying that when people come into my home and we sit around and have meals, we share about the Lord, we pray together. And it became one of the richest times of my ministry there. She served 100 meals in a month, <clears throat> her first month. So. Anyway, our next assignment was to uh, Colombia, South America. And we were assigned to the Wycliffe Center in Loma Linda. Uh, our, uh, one of our colleagues had been kidnapped, Ray Rising. And he had been gone for about a year and a half by the time we got there. Uh, actually, he was gone two years, 810 days he was actually kidnapped. Anyway, what happened uh, when we got to Loma Linda, things began to deteriorate. The FARC, uh, Marxist guerrillas were encroaching on our center, and so we eventually had to be evacuated to uh, Bogota. Some of our people went to Santa Marta, Villa Vicencio, and other places of uh, thing. But uh, our center was about uh, 300 kilometers from the main city of Bogota, and you could go by road, but we were very, very fortunate we were able to fly uh, in and out. <clears throat> um, while we were there, we uh, moved into a very nice house, and we had wonderful neighbors. And Rose, just tell us about Carlos. Okay. So when we were evacuated, it was just before Christmas, and then my son John's birthday was um, in January, and he had friends over, and we were playing loud music. And I thought, oh, dear, these neighbors are going to wonder if they've got really noisy neighbors coming. So I sent over some chocolate chip cookies to them, and I just wrote a little note. And I said, we won't always be this noisy. But anyway, the next day, Carlos came over, and he was the son of the neighbors. And he was so excited to have English neighbors because he had been to university in the States and had learned English, but he'd come back to Colombia, and he was just longing to have English people to practice his English on. So um, he expressed a real interest in spiritual things, and so we started a Spanglish Bible study, because we were trying to brush up on our Spanish, and there were lots of people who were wanting to practice their English, and we thought, well, we'll make this a Bible study, and all learn together. And through that, Carlos accepted Jesus into his life. And then he began to want to, to serve. And so he was a very bright young man. And he started working with street children, which was quite a dangerous thing in Colombia um, amongst the street children because they were very desperate for um, help. And... Um, he started teaching English and math 
to the street children. And then he got involved with YWAM, um, who was doing that ministry amongst the kids. And he eventually married a New Zealand YWAM girl. And so they've together are full-time missionaries now in, in Colombia. And he also translates uh, Christian books into Spanish for the, the people. So it's been wonderful. I'm talking about just, you know, you throw a little pebble in a pond and the ripples just go out and out. And that's what it is like to, to plant those seeds. Thank you. Our next assignment was to Mozambique branch, although we actually lived in South Africa. And the reason for that was because all of the uh, direct flights did not go into Mozambique but came into either into Kenya or into South Africa. And there we were looking after a guest house. And we had all, we were actually serving about 150 people if you counted all the children uh, that were coming in and out of Mozambique. And that was an amazing time. We thoroughly enjoyed that. My other part of the job there was to buy supplies. And I would send about 200 kilos of supplies up to Mozambique using the Missionary Aviation Fellowship plane. Um, What did you do there, by the way? Fed people again. (laughs) Yeah, because we were running that guest house. And so that was really a very special time of... um, We actually saw the the missionaries from Mozambique uh, more than they saw each other because they were all in different outposts in the area. But then they would come through for medical reasons or for traveling back and forth for furloughs and things like that. So that was really a... A fantastic ministry, again, of encouragement and praying. Because, you know, when you've been living in a village and the only language you're hearing is that language that you're trying to learn and translate, you're just longing to have fellowship with people in your own language. And so we would have wonderful times of prayer and encouragement with the missionaries coming in and out. Well, after a while in South Africa, they reassigned us to Wycliffe, South Africa, and there I was in uh, doing all the publications for the magazines and all that kind of stuff and uh, taught myself uh, graphic design. Um, God did something incredible. You know, there was, in the office, it was basically empty. We didn't have a computer that worked. And uh, uh, there was just Rose, myself, and Karen. And we just spent the time praying and asking God, listening to God, to find out what needed to be done. It wasn't long before we were renovating the office because we had people coming out of the woodwork almost. And God just blew open Southern Africa. You know, normally in Wycliffe, we go to people and say, you need the word of God. And we do all kinds of things to encourage them, help them with community projects and whatever. But what was happening to us, people were coming to us and say, please, we need the word of God. Uh, we see the word, what the word of God has done with that group and that group, and we need it. And uh, we're even now at a point where we cannot cope with all that um, they're asking us to do. But that's a good thing, because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And uh, what is incredible is that the people are saying, look, we'll provide the translators, we'll provide the facilities, we'll provide this, you, you provide the, the workshops to teach us how to do it, and the consultants that we need to checking it. So God has turned that whole uh, dynamic around and we're so incredibly encouraged by that. Um, 
Of course, the question is now, well, what are you doing now? And uh, are you just sitting at home? Are you retired? Well, as I joke with people, I say, when I find that word retirement in the Bible, I'll do it. And I haven't found it yet. I just know Moses died and Joshua died and, and uh, they just kept on. But what we're doing is we're still very connected to our South African team. We meet with them every Wednesday morning. Uh, we get up at 4.30 in the morning for our 5 o'clock time. And... You know, they want us on the team. And I often ask, well, why do they want us? Well, I think it's because in Africa, the older you get, the more respect you get. And uh, it's a wonderful system there. And they want us on the team for that reason. And also, because obviously, because we've had a lot of experience with uh, Wycliffe over the years. And from Wycliffe Canada's perspective, um, we are now care associates, which means... They are sending us lists of names and asking us if we would uh, phone these people and thank them for the projects that they're supporting all over the world with Wycliffe and also pray with them. And, uh, you know, I've had some encouraging times, incredible times with people as I have prayed with them. You know what their prayer requests are? Because they're mostly older people. Their prayer requests are, please pray for my children and my grandchildren. They're not walking with the Lord. So it's, it's a wonderful uh, encouragement to me and, and Rose as we, as we do this for, for the Lord. I have another video I'd like you to show. Any of you know uh, Anne Voskamp, the author? And uh, yeah, there's somebody over there. Okay. Anne is, is now going to tell you about what has happened and uh, the translation uh, dedication that she visited in Kenya, Africa. that is still inattentive to all the ways of God around me. You know, I have known about Wycliffe Bible translators for at least, it has to be 30 years now. My father-in-law held a Tuesday night Bible study and prayer meeting around Wycliffe Bible translators and praying for missionaries serving with Wycliffe all around the world. Wycliffe was this constant awareness that there are people in the world who don't have God's word in their heart language. I had the utter and complete joy of being with the Rendili people as there was a Bible dedication, the New Testament was finally complete in their own language. And that had been more than a 30-year process. And I sat with one of the Rendili people. His name was Joshua. And I asked Joshua, Joshua, why have you dedicated your whole life to the translation of the New Testament? He said, we are in a battle all of the time. And unless you have God's word, you have no sword against the enemy. And I was so convicted, do I see in my own life, God's word is a sword that I need every single day. One woman 
woman de bio she had woke up every morning and round trip every day had walked 26 miles five days a week for four years to learn how to read so she could read the book of john that's like a marathon a day why it's so key that as believers, we're committed to supporting Bible translation around the world. If we care about people actually having life in the world, if we care about discipling them, how can they know what it means to be fully human apart from God's Word? By having His Word, how can we not then sacrifice whatever we need to sacrifice so that other people have God's Word in their own language? Shami, why are the Rendili people so special to you? Okay. Well, I want you to know that you've all been part of that Rendili um, translation because... For all of us, actually, I brought my tomatoes today because I'm, <laughs> I'm so proud of my little crop of tomatoes. Now, they're nothing quite like Ken Bester's. He's obviously done a lot better than I did. But anyway, I just, it's the best crop I've ever had. So here you go. But I thought, you know, it's amazing what God produces in the area of fruit and vegetables from small seeds. And I just, I want all of us to to get a picture of never underestimate the power of planting a seed. You know, um, and I know people like Ken and probably um, Brian Telford have planted tons of seeds and seen amazing uh, produce. But the reason the Rendili group is so exciting for me is because... uh, when they announced that they'd finished the New Testament and they were having this wonderful celebration, I wrote to them and I said, congratulations, we just rejoice with you all for this and um, we just pray that Rendili people will have received this with joy. And he wrote back and he said, the reason that we're here is because of you. (laughs) And we said, really? And apparently, we had spoken at a prayer meeting in South Africa on one of our furloughs, and they'd been at that prayer meeting and decided, yes, this is what we want to do. We want to translate the Bible for a group of people. And so, I mean, we had not followed them. We'd gone back to the Philippines, and and we didn't realize that from that seed of telling them that day about Wycliffe, that they had decided. And to think of all those people have come to know Christ uh, from just the the links. And I want you to know that you've been a vital link in the chain of anything that we've been involved in. And we just want to say thank you to you because it's been a huge privilege for us to have spent our lives being connected in, in this chain and I, I just want you to feel the joy as well. But I also want you to ask yourselves today, you know, Peterborough is a mission field in itself. And um, 
you know, ask God very specifically. Spend time alone and just say, Lord, what seeds do you want me to plant in this city? Or whether through prayer and financial help to send others out to places where it's never been, you know, heard. Show me what you specifically want me to do to have a part in growing your kingdom. So, I think that's what you want to do. That's fine. <clears throat> Thank you. I'd like to read Revelations 5, 9, and 10. And it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Everyone's represented. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. They will reign on earth. And Revelation 7, 9 says something very similar. After this, I looked up, and there before me was a multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that's the passion that we have as we are able to do whatever we can to make sure that people get God's word in their own language. I have just another very short little video, and let me just explain it. Um, This one is with the Sepalana people up in northern South Africa. Uh, They're a separate group, and they came to us and said, please, will you help us do translation? Well, we were in the middle of COVID, and normally we had a cycle race, and with the cycle race, we put maybe 100 riders in, and we'd get enough money to be able to do the, uh, start the next translation. But we couldn't do that. So our cycle team got together and said, look, why don't we drive, ride from uh, Edenvale to Bushbrook Ridge? Just five or six of us. And that's uh, 422 kilometers. I said, fine, we'll do it. And I joined the team, not as a cyclist. <clears throat> I was too old for that. <clears throat> but I helped them along the way. And uh, they did that. And uh, this little video is a celebration not of getting the scriptures, but because the scriptures are coming.
African services are not quiet. A lot of, a lot of joy and everything. I just want to close. Um, as Rose says, just thank you once again for each one of you who are being involved. All of you who put our house together, we are so deeply grateful to you for that. And I'm just going to close with, uh, I like to write poems, and um, uh, my wife enjoys them anyway. <clears throat> but I just uh, wrote a poem just as a prayer, so let's just pray. Almighty God, your word is central to my being, because it is my light, my bread, and my soul-quenching drink. It's designed to direct me my every move, teach me to embrace a positive way to think. Your word is wisdom, it far surpasses human thought, because as its source and its root in divine truth, it cleanses, challenges, refreshes, energizes, gives power, and produces the best fruit. Lord, the prohibitions bring life rather than thwart enjoyment. They're designed to keep us safe. Thank you that eternal hope is in focus, while also giving joy on earth in our temporary enduring race. Your loving word deals with suffering, showing that these temporary trials are allowed to strengthen not defeat, that when we see life as unfair, it is because we are finite and our understanding is incomplete. Thank you, dear God, for your amazing word, for the way it has blessed us and continues to bless us, continues to strengthen us day by day. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, oh, there's so much more we could share with you today, but I want to just, uh, there's this book, and the word came with power, and it's a wonderful, wonderful story of a friend of ours, Joanne Shetler, who um, went to the Balangao people in the Philippines, and we're happy to lend it to anyone who would like to read it. I hope you're a fast reader so we can pass it on to others, but whoever comes first to ask to borrow it, then um, I, it's a really good read. <laughs> so, may you thank you. Over to Al, I believe. Or you. <clears throat>